0: Each year, we come up with a new theme for our advisor interviews in the AE Insider. This year, that theme is Believers and Achievers, and I couldn't have picked a better duo to lead it off. Believers and Achievers makes it sound like two separate people, so I sat down to interview a rock star team who also happened to be husband and wife for the first edition. Troy and Jessica Sharp have built an incredible practice together in the Houston area, and their business continues to skyrocket. Let me give you a quick background. After relocating to Houston and starting new in 2010, they've grown their practice into a powerhouse, last year doing over $30 million in annuity business and over $70 million in total assets. They've literally just moved into a brand new office. In fact, as we were recording, they were preparing for the move. It's first class in every sense of the word and is in a high-profile location in Houston, further preparing them for continued growth. How have they achieved all this in such a short period of time? Why, well, I guess you could say that they're partners in every sense of that word. A few specific things that I picked up on from our time together... That I felt were valuable were these. Like all top achievers, they're constant learners. Troy and Jessica study not only inside our industry, but outside it as well. They've also become great communicators. As they continue to grow, they're making sure that they over-communicate to everyone on their team. We cover a lot as always, so make sure you listen for ideas that you can add to your practice to grow and better serve your clients. Now, if you're ready to believe and achieve, let's get to my interview with Troy and Jessica Sharp. Troy and Jessica, it's great to have you on here and excited to dig into some of these questions about your business and just how you've grown the way that you have. But let me ask you this to start off with. When, when you came to Advisors Excel, you've been here a little while now. What were some of the challenges that were facing your business at the time?
1: Well, I, for us, we didn't... We didn't really have anyone to rely upon, anyone to go to if we had questions. Uh, We worked with a few different organizations, but uh, no one helped us on the business front. No one really helped us um, uh, operate the business, learn how to operate the business better, uh, create uh, a better organizational structure that allows the company to, uh, to run more smoothly. So I think that was really one of the biggest challenges that we really had was just not working in the company, but learning how to work on it. So the company can, can kind of run itself.
0: Yeah. We talked about that last week. It's that transition from being a, a good advisor to a great business owner, right?
1: Yeah. That's the, that's the goal. And that's what we're trying to shoot for I, I love um, it. as, as an advisor, you know, we love sitting with clients. We love helping people. Um, but at the same time, we're business owners and, and we need to run the business as such um, to allow other people to, to, to be empowered and to take charge.
0: So talk about that. I think one of the the biggest things in making that transition is a lot of times it starts with how you think about the business or your mindset, right? Um, So in order to grow, what were some of the things that you guys had to start looking at differently? Or maybe what were some of the things that were holding you back?
2: Oh, wow. One of the major things that we had to start looking at differently was how um, we were either going to start to offload some of the responsibilities that we were doing, some of the more um, just tasks around the office. We were for sure employees of the company and not truly the visionaries or the CEOs of the firm. So really transitioning and, you know, it was either we were going to find a way to clone ourselves or we were <laughs> going to start to empower the team to take on some of the responsibilities. And in doing that, um, one of the most valuable lessons we could have learned from doing that was that there are more than one ways more than one way to do something and to get it the end result and that um i think one of the difficult aspects of that lesson was just understanding if you're going to give something and empower a team member to take ownership of it then you have to let them take ownership of it so it even though it may not be the way that you were going to do it it may be a good opportunity to have that conversation with the team member knowing that they still had the empowerment to even take on the chance and that was something that really allowed us to become a little bit more freed up and able to focus on the things that only Troy and I can handle. So walk
0: me through that because I know even in our own business, that, that was one of those hard transitions. You're so you know involved in every aspect of the business that letting go of things is not always the easiest thing to do. Were there any practical things that you did or any lessons learned through that process that allowed you to do a better job with, with delegating and actually Walking away from it, delegating it?
1: For me, I just had to get out of the office. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was the best way for, for me to do it, It's just to not be here. Um, because I, I have a, a little bit of a problem with control with <laughs> if something that I'm working on. And, you know, I, I want it done right, and I want it done efficiently. And I, I want it done my way, but I also expect other people to just automatically know how I want it done. So it forced me to be a better communicator um, and also to To learn how to give up control and kind of like Jessica said, it, it may not get done exactly like how I would do it, but if, if somebody's doing it and it's you know eighty percent of what I would do, and that frees me up to do something else, yep. and everyone's working together like that, now all of a sudden so much more is getting done, and that's really what since we've joined AE, um, this is really what we've been doing for the past two and a half years is just letting go, empowering other people, and and really learning as we go.
0: So let's talk now about maybe some strategic things. We talked about thinking about the, different, the business a little differently. But as you look back on things that you've done differently, things that you've implemented that were strategic, what are some of those big changes that have allowed you to grow?
2: I would say establishing a leadership team, taking the heads from each of our department. You know, we're a midsize firm. We have 16 employees total, including Troy and I and just picking the the leader the person that's going to lead by example and i'm not talking about a manager someone that's going to delegate and make commands that we that's not what we were looking for we are and it was interesting because when we had this conversation with one of our business coaches it was very apparent who those people were mm-hmm. and these were people who were already leading by example who were already rising you know from the ranks and rolling their sleeves up and motivating their team and Troy and i quickly realized that putting those five minds together from each department with us involved and um, that was that was the formula was letting them th- those five people communicate amongst themselves and then trickle down to their teams as equals was much of the solution to Troy and I not having to do every single thing or lead everything or have someone in our doorway all day asking for approval or permission. There were five heads that could come together, talk about not only the challenges, but more importantly, what were the solutions?
1: And I think for me, because I'm not a, a process person, um, I know what I want, I see the vision, uh, but I need these people to who are better at process to take the vision and put it into some type of process, um, and they've been able to do that uh, really well.
0: Yeah. So you guys come to a lot of AE events. When you look back at some of the events that you've attended, what are some ideas or takeaways that you've had uh, from different events and maybe what's had the biggest impact on your business?
2: Oh, it was the rainmaker events for me, Cody. Um, I have always, you know, it takes yin and yang, and I would say that I have always been the more conservative of the two from a business development aspect and getting in front of Joel and just having him drill it into my head that we needed more leads, we needed more events, and that it was a numbers formula. I don't want to say a numbers game, but there was a formula and um, part of the solution to us having the growth that we've experienced over the last two years was being in that small group with Joel Johnson and the rest of the talent in that room and just having someone give us to us hard and straight and say, Hey, you have everything else going. Now let's get some events on the books. Fill that so, tunnel. yeah. So with that, um, we went from doing about two, a mo- two events a month to doing six events a month and it's made all the difference. Hmm.
0: So just how do you feel more people in the funnel? And I think you had said you also like hit some started hitting different topics, right? It wasn't all just one thing anymore?
1: Yeah, so the general retirement workshop is what we've done for years. Um, but now we started to do a Social Security one. We started to do uh, an annuities one that Jessica put together. Um, we're going to be doing a, t- a tax one this upcoming year. So um, more topics, more events. But what, what also happened is we hired Erica Pauly. Um, to help us with the the metrics and and the numbers. And we started to see, even though we were putting so many more people in the funnel, that we had a lot of leaks throughout the entire system. (laughs) Um, So that forced us to really kind of, and this is where we are now, uh, really looking at the process of uh, the entire sales process from when somebody raises their hand until they become a client or they don't become a client, and just kind of uh, just one by one looking at all of these leaks and trying to do the best we can to, to plug them. But if we didn't know the numbers, if we weren't doing the events, if we weren't doing all these different things, um, and then had the team of people to help us, um, we wouldn't be uh, positioning ourselves for, for, for really solid growth in, in next year.
0: So one question that I know was asked is, what's something that you tried that didn't work? And, and I thought you had a really unique answer. Maybe not unique. I'm sure other people have tried it and it didn't work too. But maybe walk through that because I think there's a good lesson there also.
2: I was having a lot of success, um, booking appointments, um, the next day following a luncheon seminar. And when I would go to the AE events, I would talk to the other advisors and it was like nine to one. We're doing them at the event immediately after giving them a choice of date and time and, That sounded very appealing to me because I thought, oh my gosh, that's probably good for increasing the amount of appointments that are booked because you're not, you know, the shiny is not worn off. It's right there and they're into it and they want to come in for an appointment. However, when I tried it, I felt like personally, I was really losing an opportunity by kind of. It just didn't feel like us. It didn't kind of putting that pressure on. And we do deal with a higher asset level client than um, a lot of other advisors I've talked to. And that's just because of the environment we have in Houston with the oil and gas industry being so prevalent. But it just felt so inauthentic for me to be kind of like pigeonholing them into one date or the next. And and what I ultimately realized was that I was losing what I feel is an opportunity to connect with the prospect on the phone and get them pumped up about coming in for their appointments. Um, so instead of taking the five minutes immediately after the seminar to book the appointment, I have found in my practice that calling them the next day or coaching our scheduling team to do the same, having a meaningful 10 to 20 minute conversation has really improved with the retention of people that stay on the calendar.
0: So one reason I thought that was interesting is it reinforces something that we try and communicate a lot and probably don't do that good of a job of is that not everything works exactly the same for every advisor. And just just knowing you too, right, your personality and being able to connect with people the next day and build even more of a relationship, you know, I could see that working really, really well. So I I think that's just a good lesson as a reminder, but also... I I think as people listen to this call if they are struggling with you know appointments canceling or not showing up you know maybe look at those different parts of the funnel and experiment with different approaches to that so you experimented with something different it didn't work you know went back to something that was working better but I just sometimes I don't think people try different things to see how it works and I thought that was a good good lesson. So yeah, there's
2: certainly no instruction manual for him for yeah. this this industry. That's that's for
0: certain. That's right. So you, um, I know one thing that was really valuable to the practice and growth was getting your RIA and adding the AUM. Would you talk just a little bit about how that's helped the business grow?
1: It's helped us be more full service, and I think uh, looked at it as um, with a, a greater degree of respect amongst some of the the higher, uh, more affluent clients. But it's been a challenge uh, for for two years, three years. Um, I guess 2015 is when we really started it. But we didn't start uh, really getting assets until 2016. And it's just mixing the safety with the risk discussion. It's really taken us two years to really figure this out. Um, But now we've, from branding our sales process and and really branding the process that people go through and having a name for what we do, um, that's really uh, helping a lot, uh, we're starting to see, but it's really just been difficult to, to integrate those two, the risk discussion, the safety discussion. Um, so that's really been a challenge for us, but I think people have looked at us, um, with a lot more respect, especially with the higher asset clients and it's helped us become more full service. And instead of just getting 500,000 or or 700,000 in the the safe money, now we're able to get all of the money or at least have an opportunity to get all the money.
0: Yep. So let's transition a little to marketing. Uh, what are you doing right now that's working really well? And then maybe what are you doing that may be a little different? Or how have you figured out ways to maximize those marketing efforts?
1: Well, I just did a webinar. Um, that It was my first webinar ever. And uh, wrote an $800,000 annuity. Um, a, f- a $5.5 million client this week uh, signed up with us. Most of that's probably going to go to AUM, but that's a huge case. It's probably our biggest case of the year. Um,
2: And backing up further from that, we work that database. And it's interesting because we just had this discussion with AE recently. But this is something where we were just gathering email addresses, phone numbers, and names from almost day one. I can say we've done a good job of that. But it's been now that we've actually been utilizing that list. I mean, we turned around eight years later, and we have... Close to 18,000 people in that database point or another put their hand up and said, I'm interested in something. And now that's a great source for us to go back. And, you know, if you use the right software, you can scrub out existing clients or you can target with your CRM what you want to focus on. What are you marketing? And I think for a long time where we had it backwards was we didn't want to be a nuisance. We didn't want to send, you know, more than our once monthly newsletter or anything Mm. like that. But something changed in the air the last year and we really really realized that we're providing a value at the end of the day and that the economic environment is ever changing political climate ever changing the markets have been volatile and these people they want to hear from us and we're providing educational information And Troy's webinar um that was solely booked out of this database that we've got
1: and, and I think it's just adding providing valuable content to the database you don't just want to you know send out you know like she said, be a nuisance and just send out a bunch of stuff that nobody really wants, but it's about sending valuable content, and and that's really what um, I think has been been helpful for us, and we're really excited about that too.
0: That's such a key word is valuable, right? We talk about the idea with our our team about being valuably persistent. So you're staying in front of them quite frequently because you don't know when and where they're going to need somebody, but you're doing it in a way that you're providing tons of value and. I think people are going to hear a lot more about this from us too. But that you know, credit to you all from early on, understand the the importance of building that that database and list. And eighteen thousand, I mean, that's a great great list. So um, it makes it easier to start trying and marketing back some of these other things to people. So that's a big thing. So you're in a pretty competitive market. Lots of money in Houston, oil money, as you said. Probably lots of financial advisors what are some things that you do to try and separate yourself from your competition?
1: It's services, uh, services for sure. Uh, on the planning side, um, I think that's a big differentiator. I had a client just this week, uh, he was deciding between us and and two or three other firms and he said, Troy, I'm going with you because of the services you offer, offer. Um, so one of the things that, that Matt Newman really helped us with this year was just, um, having a name for our process, really branding that, um, you know, being able to call our sales process something, being able to call, you know, the different things that we do, have a name for it. Um and, and that's really helping and sticking with people I see.
2: Yeah, I agree. Um for instance, um, you know, I just recently became a, a financial advisor. I was involved in every other aspect of the business prior to that. And what I, I knew what I wanted to do early on, I wanted to take a complex topic that 's ultimately intimidating to a lot of people and break it down so that you don 't have to have a finance degree to understand what it is that we 're marketing and how it is you know our investment philosophy works and Just for example, one of the um, things that I came up with recently was a name for our investment philosophy, and we 're calling it the core four and we 're getting it trademarked and it just talks a little bit briefly about. Where we're allocating funds from and why we're doing it and the the, the four just very quickly are um, mutual funds for global exposure and diversification uh, dividends in single stocks for some return on your dividends and interest reinvestment, um, real estate investment trust to be exposed to real estate without being a landlord and then my last one is my favorite one because it segues very nicely into the mm-hmm. safe money accounts and the annuity conversation and this is a really nice alternative to bonds and we know bonds have not been doing great with interest rates on the rise so having that fourth component just segues so nicely into the the annuity conversation and how we're able to help people protect a portion of their nest egg so but just coming up with a a quirky name for it that i i love things that's either alliteration or that rhyme it's memorable it's easy it's palatable and it um it lasts
0: yeah, that's great. One other that I know you use, I, I won't say it, but you have a way that you refer to even your team, right? The advisors and investment team that you have.
1: Yeah, so Jessica came up with the Retirement Dream Team, and she uh, she actually put together this Avengers piece with uh, with all of us on there. And it like, <laughs> Why yeah.
2: don't you tell them what you wanted to call it? <laughs> <laughs> I
1: wanted to call it the, uh, the, the uh, multidisciplinary, uh, uh, something like that. But she's like, how about the Retirement Dream Team? <laughs>
0: Jessica, I would say your yours was better.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs>
2: you can understand the words coming out of my mouth at least. <laughs> yes. Yeah, uh,
0: well, I, I know a lot of that leads into your client experience, and that was an area of focus, or is an area of focus for 2019. Is doing more around client events. You want to hit that just real quick?
1: Yeah. So we've um, th- so learning so much as we've joined AE. Um, really just kind of keeping our heads down, keeping our mouths shut, just listening and asking a lot of questions. So the next thing really we're tackling is uh, client events. We haven't been really good at client events. Um, we threw one six, seven years ago. It cost us like 40000 bucks, and um, we didn't really get much out of that, I believe. We
2: had fun. It was Vegas <laughs> themed. People still talk about it, but we didn't, I think we wrote like maybe a million dollars out of it, but it was with an existing client. <laughs> So, yeah. it's, so not, it's paid for itself in the end. Expensive but.
1: party, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, very, very expensive party. So, um, Yeah, so we're going to come up with a, well two things for 2019. Definitely client events, referral events, also educational events. Um, but it's really important for me to get involved in the community in, uh, in 2019. Um,
2: and involve our clients in that as well. Yeah,
1: get our clients involved, get our employees involved, really uh, take the lead from you, Cody, and, and what you guys do there at Advisors Excel. So quite admirable, and, and we would like to bring that to our company. Um, to really give back to the community here.
0: That's great. I think uh, I was on a phone call with an advisor right before this who has just seen a a proliferation of referrals over the last three or four months. And what was interesting, I'm saying this a little bit for you, but for other advisors that listen, he's been doing client events consistently now for, for years. And he said, you know, for the first year or so, I didn't really see that payoff. But as we've consistently done them, now all of a sudden, you know, people know we're doing them, and, and it took a while, but now it's just paying off in spades. So it's a, a good step in the right direction, very similar to, you know, when you start building that list, you don't necessarily see the, the benefit of it right away, but you, you are today. So um, one thing, talk a little bit about your communicating with existing clients, what you're doing to stay in front of them. And I liked how you, you have uh, basically a program where every quarter you're just reaching out to them to talk to. Would you walk through a few of the things you're doing there?
1: Yeah, so we have um, this is primarily our, our investment clients, but we should really be doing it with everyone. And something we picked up uh, at the last event was everyone with a million dollars and above, uh, we should be calling just once a month. So we are going to start doing that as well, people who aren't clients. Uh, so everyone in the database, um, you know, go through everyone with a million dollars or more, we're just going to just reach out once a month until they either tell us to stop calling or, or they do business with us. Mm hmm. Um, But existing clients, we do a weekly podcast. We do the monthly newsletter, of course, a bi-monthly newsletter. And then what we do is we break out the investment clients because the recurring revenue is so important to us. Uh, That was our first focus. Um, Just break it out. We have about five advisors here. Each advisor has a list of about 25 or 30 people. Um, And their their job is just once a quarter to reach out to them, have a five-minute conversation, and just, just maintain that relationship. Just continue to build rapport.
2: And this and, has been a popular week for that with the market being down.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, good time to be calling. Yeah. But people, you know, they do appreciate that. Usually they tell us, say, hey, I'm fine, you know, no worries, glad to hear from you, but I'm busy. Um, so we get off the phone and call the next one. Um, but, yeah, that's 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 really uh, valuable, I, I believe.
0: Yeah, I think advisors don't do that enough anymore, <laughs> you know, just that reaching out and connecting. So I, I thought that was a great idea. All right, so – um, I want to talk about one thing. You've got something exciting. We're recording this right before the holidays, so this will have probably happened by the time it arrives in people's office. But you have a a big event coming up January 2nd. Maybe talk about that, um, what you're excited about with Aaron, some of the things that you're going to be doing there.
2: Well, considering that we started here in Houston eight years ago on milk crates, and we had a phone, mm-hmm. and Troy and I used to actually only have appointments at our a satellite location because that's all we could afford at the time, and we would borrow people's <coughs> furniture from their suites, stage our own office, mm-hmm. and only have appointments from 4.30 until 7 p.m. And one day I got a phone call, and they said, um... It was the receptionist in the building. And she said, "Um, the tenant down the hallway thinks that you may have their fern in your (laughs) office. Did you borrow that? (laughs) And we've we've slowly evolved and we've been in the same building now for eight years. And it kind of started as a little tiny office, just a thousand square feet. And we ended up. Um, just evolving and expanding, and we we are halfway down the hallway now at 3,000 square feet, and we've outgrown it. So on January 2nd, we are moving to Class A office space in the most desirable area of Houston, um, and it is on the first floor, and it's 7,000 square feet, and we're going Google on everyone with an open concept for um, team collaboration, and it's just going to be stunning. It's going to be so conducive to hosting more in-house events and just a really welcoming, we're doing a whole rebranding, we're a refresh of our colors, and just a total new look, including an upgraded radio studio that will be in-house and a TV production studio in the same suite.
1: And also, what's really cool there, Cody, is it's right in the middle of the energy corridor. So we're going to be in walking distance um, or a shuttle service. This whole um,
2: from uh, Shell, BP, Chevron. Yeah.
1: It's called Memorial City. This whole area has a shuttle service, and, and everyone they, they take the shuttles to lunch, to the to the parks, to everywhere else, the mall, and um, we're uh, we're going to be able to do a lot of events there. But we're probably going to have a. 200,000 uh, in our target demographic employees within walking distance, probably from our office wow. or shuttle uh, service. So really, really good opportunity to to focus on that marketing in that immediate vicinity of the office. So that's really exciting.
0: It's going to be, and you, you've you maybe heard me say this, I know others that will listen to this definitely have, is that to me, there's not a a move that you can make that's guaranteed to help your business grow more than upgrading your office. So- well, I'm hey, excited. at three
2: so, times the rent, that's very reassuring to hear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, think of all the other risks you've taken along the way that have worked out, but yet you will... I,
2: including I, stealing a fern, yes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I promise you'll look back on this and, and think that it was a very good decision. So um, that that's a big thing. So as you've evolved into being a business owner, what are a few of the lessons that you feel that you've learned about running the business?
2: Well, I was given a very solid piece of advice very early on in career, and that was from a client of ours who also happened, you know, Troy and I are a married couple, and sometimes it's difficult to leave work at work and um, personal things at home. And this client happened to also work with his wife, and we were in a meeting Um, I think we were just chatting in the lobby, and he said, oh, how's it going with you two working together? It's you know, sweet and (laughs) sour sometimes, right? And I said, well, yeah, for damn sure it is. (laughs) And he said, well, let me give you some advice. When it comes time for you to have a heated discussion about maybe an area that you're not in agreement with, he said, I want you to do it in your conference room. (laughs) And I said, oh, well, Bob, we can't do that because the walls are super thin. And he said, well, that's my point. He said, when you have those type of discussions and there's a lot weighing on the matter, he said, you want to have those within earshot of the people that are depending on you because it will keep it civil, it will keep it respectful, and it will keep it um you'll you'll be business partners, not ending up in a lovers quarrel. Mm. (laughs) So I thought that was really unique and solid advice.
1: For me it's just been giving up control, really trusting others, empowering others. Um and then you see them grow and that's what's really exciting too. Um when you do give Somebody, for me, once again, who I like to have control over, you know, so much of what's going on, to, to give up that control and see somebody uh, succeed and really free up my time to work on things that help the company grow in other ways. So that's, for me, that's really important. Empowering others has been one of the the, the big lessons I've learned.
0: That's great. One thing you talked about that I thought was unique is something that you do as is, is leads come in. You assign a win probability to those. What, what is a win probability and how do you use that?
1: So, you know, we all have that, the guy who calls you, he's got $2 million and he send me an illustration on your best annuity. (laughs) Well, that guy's never going to do business. Um, He's, he, that would be like a zero win probability, but a lot of advisors are going to, you know, they're going to send that illustration right over to him. They're going to spend a lot of time calling them. Instead of doing that, what we want to do is to, to turn the odds in our favor So we're going to ask for some type of micro-commitment from him. He's going to have to send us something first. He's going to have to meet with us. He's going to have to do something to engage us uh, if we're going to work with him. And by doing that, we go from a zero win probability to maybe a 10% or a 12% or a 20%. So that's just a really, really good example there. But yeah, so, but other people, we have different people who come in for different reasons. Um, You know, despite popular belief, prospects aren't always truthful with you. Um, So you know, we have to really kind of sift through what their real purposes are, what their real intents are, and are they, you know, in the, in the buying window, first and foremost, are they the ones who are going to make this decision? Are there other people who, you know, they're going to go back and consult? Do we need to get them involved? Do we need to, uh, what we call stakeholder mapping? Um, so really doing everything that we can to understand what's really going on across the table from us um, and turning the odds more in our favor um, by doing little things like like I'm talking about here, really can increase the win probability. So if mm-hmm. we can increase the probability of success um, and then focus our effort on those those higher probability outcomes. And then when you combine that with higher profitability outcomes, okay, now you have something where you can really dedicate some effort to, get the team involved and really you know give it hundred percent as opposed to chasing around. You know the guy with five million or ten million or two hundred thousand, but if they're never going to do business because they're just they're using you, they're they're trying to get information, um, or they just can't make a decision, or they're shopping around to ten different people. You don't want to focus your energy and resources and time on all those low win probability people. So to be more efficient, you know, the there's only so much time in the day, and we're all pulled in so many different directions. Yep. To really focus the energy on the cases that um, you are getting. Um, you know, micro-commitments on an ongoing basis from where they're engaged and they're they're doing what you ask them to do. Um, that really turns the odds in our favor, and, um, you know, that's something we've, we've implemented just this year.
0: That's great. So as we, we've covered quite a bit, I want to do kind of a catch-all at the end and, and hit a few different topics here. But let's start a little bit with your team and goal setting. How do you set your goals, and then how do you get your team behind them and excited about those
2: Every every January, usually around mid month, we do a, a kickoff meeting, and during that meeting, we kind of go through the history of Ocarver's Financial Group, where we come from, where we're going, where we are at current moment. We set production goals. We get feedback. It's usually about a six to eight hour meeting, and we try to do it somewhere that's engaging and fun. Last year, we did it at the Escape Room Houston, hmm. where we used their conference room, and we you know we shared relics from the past. We shared production. Um, like actual production stats from 2017, and then we talked about what we were planning for 2018. And it's just a really nice way to do some team building with the actual experience of the escape room, but also kind of. just just strategize and set goals and get everybody on the same page. And then we really rely on our weekly sales meetings on Mondays, our weekly case design meetings on Mondays, and our weekly leadership meetings and the leadership team to hold everybody accountable and to to see where we're at and where we're going and where we want to be.
0: What is the biggest challenge facing advisors today, in your opinion?
1: You know, I, I had to think about this one for a while, but for me, I think it's, you know, it's just being forward thinking. You know, everything is, is changing. The industry is changing. You know, most of us five years ago, we weren't doing investments, for example. I know a lot of people out there still may not be doing investments, um, but the industry is changing and the world is changing. And I just think being forward thinking um, is, is probably one of the biggest challenges that, that we have because we, we are creatures of routine and what works for us in the past, we tend to keep doing. So I just think it's very important to continue to push boundaries, try new things, and not get stuck in the, the, the routine of how you've been doing business for the past 5, 10, 20 years.
0: So as part of that, I think a, a big component is how do you continue to grow and develop as a leader of the organization? Any advice that you all have on things that you're doing to continue to grow?
2: Learn from other people who are doing it right. Success is learned, and success is is through experience. I love listening to leadership podcasts. I love I love marketing. Um, the Learning Leader is a favorite of mine as well. And just to hear about how you know executives at Apple are running things or small startups, um, just all the stories. There's something to be learned within every podcast that I've listened to. Also, continued reading. Um getting having a business mentor and then really just holding holding yourself accountable to do some of that personal development. Um, having a morning routine, having consistency, and of course being available for the people that are the ones that are executing your plans and ambitions, meaning our employees, keeping an open line, a comfortable face to face Opportunity for them to come and share, and for you to share back, and just always keeping authenticity at the top of that list of priorities.
0: That's good. Have you guys listened to How I Built This, the podcast?
2: I've heard of it. I've not listened no. to it.
0: Oh. oh man, you have to. You know, if you like podcasts, it's great. I it, love it podcasts. Takes all these you know business owners that started their company and have grown them into these names that you would know, right? I mean, you would recognize lots of the names and just tells their story. But it's such a good reminder, even as we listen to your story, right, from borrowing furniture and ferns to staging office (laughs) to what you're moving into now that, you know, business is a process and it doesn't happen overnight. And to see how far you're able to come in, you know, five, 10 years is is pretty phenomenal. So yeah, I think you'd like it. But as that is a transition, let's talk about the future. What what do you see as goals for the future, and what are some of the things that you're excited about in your business?
1: Just, you know, finally, after years of, you know, kind of, you know, not being able to break through, constantly hitting the same numbers. And we were doing a lot of, you know, good business before we joined well, World. it's like
2: a staircase, right? It's like <laughs> up a little flat, and I feel like Troy and I were on like one of those staircases where there's like four steps and this big, giant landing step, and it was just a really big, mm-hmm. flat line <laughs> for a while. And I feel like we're ready to continue up the staircase only um, at a much higher rate now, and that's been largely in part to you guys assisting with uh, our business development.
1: And just getting past those numbers, I mean, we, we did 34 million, roughly 35, 36. The, the year before we joined AE and annuities um, and then this year our second year second and a half year whatever it's been Cody um, I think we're going to do about 34 35 million again so under production on the annuity side now we're also going to do 34 35 to 40 on the, the AUM side um, but we're right back to where we were before we've made all the changes that we've made over the past two years so that's really really exciting that's cool the, so much so many people we've we've Fired. <laughs> like, That's not
2: what I thought you were like, going to say.
1: <laughs> like 12 people, 13 people over the past uh, two years and, and rehired some uh, much better people. Yep.
2: Well, with come change is always an adjustment period. And I feel like that's what we've been living in for the last two years. And that this breakthrough with the new office, it's going to give us an opportunity to just re- reestablish what we want the culture to be. It's going to wipe the slate clean in a lot of ways. It's exciting. Everyone's pumped. And it's going to be just a new opportunity for us to start, hopefully take the elevator to the top at this point after being on that landing step for so long.
0: I love it. No, I, I think it will. You've set the foundation. So, so we've covered a lot. Any final thoughts, words of wisdom, anything you want to share with advisors?
1: I want to go back to if you have a team, um, you don't have to do everything yourself. You know, And that's how I did uh, you know, for, for so long, you know, just trying to do everything myself, afraid to give up control, afraid to not be at the office, afraid uh, that somebody wasn't going to do it as well as I could. Uh, they don't have to do it as well as I could. Uh, as a matter of fact, they're probably going to do it better. It's going to be different. Um, but it, it, it's that's okay. You know, yeah, that's okay, and that has allowed me to have more free time, but also have a better life and be and able a company to, f- to grow more.
2: To and 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 when he says it, what he's referring to is he is. A, we are now able to focus on revenue-producing activities. And it's arguable that everything would ultimately results in producing revenue. But there are some revenue-producing activities like the public speaking engagements, like the radio show, like the webinar, that we hadn't been able to focus on prior mm-hmm. to offloading some of the other stuff that was keeping us from it to the rest of the team.
1: Yeah, I mean, I probably did, in most, 25 appointments this year. Wow. So...
0: That's good. So well, being able to
1: focus on a lot more.
0: So, congrats! Um, I, I guess first and foremost, thank you, Jessica and Troy, for taking the time to share a, about everything going on. Uh, good luck with the move. I think by the time people will have heard this, you'll you'll be in your new offices, and I'm excited to see what that does for your business. And um, I'm assuming you're going to have a record year in 2019. So, congrats and and good luck.
1: Thank you, Cody. Really, really appreciate it.
2: Thanks, Cody.
1: This interview is the experience of the producer and does not represent the experience of all Advisors Excel producers. Results from the use of the concepts in this interview may not be representative of the experience of all financial professionals and are no guarantee of future success. This interview was not paid for by Advisors Excel. There are state, federal, and insurance carrier guidelines and prohibitions that apply to doing business through the mail or in any situation where the financial professional and client do not meet face-to-face to conduct business. Please ensure you understand all applicable rules and requirements prior to conducting business through the mail. For financial professional use only.